NFL Week 7 line moves. Suma, we've got some one-loss records out of the twilight zone at this point of the season, it would seem. On the positive side, Jacobs Giants, 5-1. and one. Your New York Jets, 4-2. and two. And on the negative side, we've got some NFC heavyweights that seem to be stuck in neutral at 3-3. Three and three. And it's not just one or two of these teams a little slow out of the gates. I'm talking Tampa Bay, Green Bay, San Francisco, the defending champion Rams. Sumo, what's your read on the betting market's response to some surprising one-loss records through six weeks of the season? First of all, New York, baby, the new football capital in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to be honest, uh, I think we all agree that the Giants and Jets are very sneakily uh, having a combined record of 9-3. to three. Uh, So uh, as fans, we will enjoy it as long as, as, long as it lasts. Um, yeah, overall, <laughs> I think pretty wild season so far. Uh, lots of supposed to be good teams not playing up to their potential and uh, really dropping a few games like Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh. This was... And crazy. I was on the over, and at right before halftime, I had a little bit of hope. Like, I think Pittsburgh was driving down the field, or Tampa Bay, I can't remember. And I thought, like, if they get a touchdown now, there's some hope. But then it was just a very ugly game until the end. Um, Byron Leftwich continuing to run the ball on, on first down, even though the Steelers were down four secondary starters. I mean, that still haunts me in my mind. I mean, I can seriously, like at some point, someone has to come in and say, hey, guys, what we are doing here is not working. You got to do some, some change up or something. That's, that, that still blows my mind. We will get to that game and talk some bucks in a bit here, but going in rotation order as we turn the page to week seven, the top game on the board that's seen some meaningful movement so far, I think would be Indianapolis at Tennessee. I'd like to talk about some two-way action we've seen on both the side and total in this one. Looking at the side, Tennessee now a consensus two and a half point favorite. They had gotten up as high as a soft three after opening minus two. So we've seen a bit of push pull on the spread in this one. Same with the total. 42 and a half, the current number had been as high as 44 off an opener of 43 and a half. Sumo, with all this two-way action in this AFC South matchup, what's your read on where the side and total are going to settle come Sunday when we're looking at Colts-Titans? That's a very fas fascinating handicap. So a few weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, we had Colts at home against the Titans, and the Colts closed as, I think, minus three and a half, minus four favorites at home. So seeing this game getting to three at some point, and then, then there was the immediate buyback, really tells me that betters disagreed with Titans laying three at home. I mean, since that game, the Titans had some great uh, stuff early in the game, got out to a lead, um, capitalized off a few turnovers against Matt Ryan, and then the Colts had, had a decent second half and almost came back. And since that game, the Titans have not really shown us anything. And the Colts had that game against the Jacks last week where they all of a sudden switched up their offense, going shotgun all the time, getting the ball out quick, not getting stuck with the run game. So there was a positive note on the Colts last week. So it, make, it only makes sense that this game will not close above two and a half because there has to be too much Colts, Colts support in the market. 
we'll see what the injury report does. Johnson Taylor and Niam Hines and uh, Shaquille Leonard practice today. So it seems very optimistic on that side. And with those guys in, I, I just don't see this game getting back to a, let's say, three across the board. I, I really think that the threes for the Colts are gone. And we are going to look at some two-ish, two-and-a-half-ish for the rest of the week. You touched on the Colts' offensive adjustments last week. And how much of it would you say was just looking good against a Jaguars team that doesn't look so hot compared to what we were thinking a couple weeks ago? And on the other side of the coin, you could say, hey, the Colts have a new quarterback, some new faces in new places, and maybe they just needed a few weeks to really find their footing. What's your read on the Colts' offense moving forward and how that might affect the total in this game as well? I would not overreact to that because the Colts just said that we cannot run the ball and the Jacksonville Jaguars have a pretty decent run defense. So we will not even try to run the ball too much in this game. And even though go, uh, even going uh, pass heavy in that game, which worked out in the end, I mean, they still had kind of a rough time because they needed all the third down conversions. I think they converted like 11 or 12 third downs and the Jacks, for whatever reason, could not stop all these crossing routes. So, yes, it, it was a good step in the right direction, also in terms of coaching adjustments, but I would not too much overreact to that. And it's also going to be interesting once Jonathan Taylor is back in the formation, Will the Colts be, again, very run-heavy? Will they try to funnel their, their game through Jonathan Taylor? Or will they continue to just pick up the matchups and uh, leave all those Taylor runs alone? That, that's going to be uh, very interesting. In terms of total, yeah, we saw two-way action. Yesterday, it got bet up to, I think, almost 44 in some places. And then th the money came back on the under. Um, yeah, interesting read on that one. I think the Colts, with being pass-heavy, they might have a very decent matchup against the Titans because the Titans are bad against the pass. They have been very good at stopping the run, but they have been bad against the pass. So that might be something to look at for overbetters. And on the other side, I'm not highly confident in the Colts' defense at all. They got shredded by the Jaguars most of the game last week. It, the only difference in that game was that the Jaguars could not convert as many third and fourth downs like the Colts did. So I'm not really high on the Colts defense. They cannot generate too, many, too much uh, uh, pass rush. They are not as stout against the run anymore. And I also think that Gus Bradley's defense can be beat with the run and play action. So I think th this is probably what overbetters are looking at. And underbetters are probably looking at two defense uh, two offenses that have been below expectations so far i like that that answer talked a lot about the run game because that's going to be a pivotal factor and the next game we'll get to atlanta at cincinnati the falcons have had a pretty potent ground game so far this season cincinnati we've touched on it not so much positivity from them on the ground early on this season and zach taylor making some questionable decisions in terms of putting his ground game in position to succeed. But we have seen this total tick up two points, up now to 47 and a half from an opener of 45 and a half. 
And Suma, you've made it well known. We've got a low scoring environment this season. You've outlined some of the reasons why on this show and in some of your written content over at the hammer.bet. But in this one, it seems like the betting market might have a little bit more optimism that we see some fireworks between the Falcons and Bengals on Sunday in Cincinnati. Yeah, um, I think that there was a strong release on the over on Monday on Monday morning around, I think, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which pushed the total from 45 and a half to 47. And I completely think that this move makes sense because the Bengals have gotten better and they've also, or they are making a transition on offense. They were really bad on early downs early in the season. Every time they lined up under center, it was a one. Every time they lined up in shotgun, it was a pass. So defenses really were getting telegraphing of their offense. And you could easily prepare for that because there was not really a, a lot of uh, change-ups and you also could not change or mesh the one game with the passing game because it was strictly under center runs and uh, passing from the shotgun. And against the Saints, they had only two snaps from under center and one was a, a kneel, kneel down in the end and one was a quarterback sneak. So the Bengals uh, are going completely shotgun RPO stuff, getting the ball out quick and basically running the Joe Burrow offense. Their run game also looks better now. And they're getting a Falcons defense that is bad to start with. No pass rush whatsoever. Casey Hayward is on IR. AJ Terrell is banked up. Isaiah Oliver is banked up. So it's really a depleting defense for the Falcons. And on the other hand, you mentioned it, the Falcons are pretty decent or at least solid on offense. They have a good run game. Uh, their passing game is, I think, still a little bit um, underwhelming. And also, I think that Arthur Smith simply tries to get away with a run-heavy game plan and not put too much stress on Mariota at the passing game. And the Cincinnati Bengals defense, they are losing bodies up front. They are still, they are already without DJ Reader. They have lost an, a, another two rotational pieces along the defensive line. Logan, Logan Wilson, their green dot linebacker, is day-to-day. Uh, which looked uh, much worse yesterday. So I think that it's, it's an opportunity for betters that, that saw, hey, we are having, or we are dealing with two decent offenses on the rise and there are some injuries on the opposing defensive side. So we got to push this one from 45 towards 47, which is a key number. Um, we will see uh, right now it's shaded towards the over, towards 47 and a half. Some books are already at 47 and a half. We will see if we get can get some buyback there. But yeah, in hindsight, this move up to the total makes a lot of sense. Well, from two offenses that may be on the rise to two offenses that have been in a downward spiral of late, Tampa Bay at Carolina, uh, two pretty disconcerting offensive performances last week, to say the least. Suma, you made it well known in your week six to recap the Bucks just refusing to throw the ball when they had every opportunity in that matchup against the Steelers. But the betting market may be a little optimistic on the Bucks making the right adjustments this week. They're up to minus 11 at Carolina after opening as a 10-point favorite. Do you share any of that market optimism on perhaps Byron Leftwich listening to your advice or perhaps taking a bit less of Todd Bowles' advice when it comes to pounding the rock when that just doesn't make as much sense? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. It still doesn't make any sense. Uh, Tom Brady is 
has been playing very well so far, but it was just a combination of bad play calling. The offensive line is not blocking well, which makes even less sense to come up with a run-heavy game plan on, on early downs. But this number, this spread going to 11 just tells us how bad the Panthers are right now. Like, they are in complete disarray. Uh, I don't have any trust in, in the new coaching staff. PJ Walker had a negative um, target depth against the Rams, so he was on average throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. There's Sounds like, like Joe zero... Lombardi might be calling the shots in Carolina these days with that negative A dot. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, that offense with Ben McAdoo, they cannot get separation. Their quarterback is bad. Their offensive line is not holding up. It's really bad on all faces, and I think this is straight one-way action because there are no certain or no key injuries to watch for the Bucks. The Panthers could be without more starting cornerbacks. I think at some point against the Rams, they were down their three starting cornerbacks. So that's something to monitor. But I, I'm having a hard time seeing this one getting back towards a 10 or something. I just think that this is one-way Bucks action they have enough defense to, to stop the Carolina offense, which might stop themselves anyway. And um, even though we have concerns about the Bucks offense in some in some areas, I still do not see how that Voron's getting down to 10 again or even nine, nine and a half. Speaking of one-way action, let's transition to the late window on Sunday. The Jets at the Broncos, both the side and the total, have seen some one-way action in this one. The Jets now down to pick them off an opener of plus three, the total down to 38 off an opener of 42. Of course, the big factor here, Russell Wilson's status under center for the Broncos. Suma, what do you think this number should be with and without Wilson from a side and total perspective? And then at this stage, what's your read on the odds of him playing or not on Sunday? The odds, very tough to say. Um, with that hamstring injury, I think the Broncos called him day to day. Right now, I would really make it a 50-50 affair. Like on, on Monday morning, it sounded more like he could sit this game out. Then they called him day to day and he's trying everything he can to make it happen. So it could really be a true game time decision come Sunday. Um, I think with a healthy Wilson, this game was minus three before. And it's, it, it's, it's hard to see Broncos getting... Well, it's it's hard. We are speaking in, in hypotheticals right now, but I think it was hard to see that game getting to a flat minus three and a half, even with Wilson, because that offense looked so horrendous. And he also had that shoulder injury that he was dealing with. And now with the hamstring injury, it's it's really tough to make a compelling case for why the Broncos should get towards minus three if Wilson plays. Like he, he will most likely not be able to scramble. And he looked very bad in the pocket to begin with. And if it's Brad Ripien, I mean, we are basically looking at two very equal teams, which makes it very logical to to the closing spread, uh, closing in the um, pick'em range if Brad Ripien is indeed the quarterback. So is it fair enough to assume the Broncos, if we get news that Wilson will play, probably more of a short favorite, not going back up to minus three. And if Wilson is ruled out, the Jets probably more in the range of that short favorite, minus one, minus two-ish? Also, I cannot really see it because Zach Wilson has been so bad. 
like whatever you throw into your models, you will always arrive at one of the worst starting quarterbacks for the for the Jets. And they are playing a very good defense, uh, a defense that really played extremely well against Justin Herbert on Monday Night Football. All the metrics support that. And the Jets, they are on a three-game win streak, but Zach Wilson is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. Like, he cannot feel pressure at all. And if you ask some film guys who watch the All-22, like, everyone raves about the play calling. Like, everyone is saying, hey, Michael Flores is doing such an excellent job designing the offense and getting his playmakers in the best position, but the quarterback is still not there yet. So I would have a hard time seeing the Jets closing as, let's say, decent short favorites uh, if Brad Ripien is um, the quarterback. So I'm guessing when we look at the total in this one, again, down to 38 off an opener of 42, probably a similar story. If Wilson goes, we see it trickle back up, but not quite to that opening number of 42. And if Wilson's ruled out, um, just because of what we already know about the Jets offense and their defense looking pretty good, it might be tough to see the total go too much lower than 38. Does that sound like a fair read? Yeah, I, I think 39 and a half, that range is probably be uh, will, will be the maximum that we are going to see. Like a banged up Russell Wilson or Brad Ripien, I just cannot see that total getting towards 40 again. Um, yesterday, well, two days ago it was, uh, no, no, sorry, it was yesterday because it was it was Monday Night Football. So yesterday, before the Russell Wilson move, we all already had a move down towards 40. And when you think that the Chargers and Broncos closed 45 and a half, that was a crazy under game. So now we have more data on the Broncos offense being terrible. On the other side, there's Zach Wilson instead of Justin Herbert. Now we are also have the information that the that that Russell Wilson is going to have an injury or that Britt Ripien is going to play. So it completely makes sense that this total will be almost a touchdown lower than what we saw on Monday night in a in a dome environment. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to a much more palatable matchup from a viewing perspective. And that would take us to the Bay Area, San Francisco hosting Kansas City. The total in this one has seen some upward movement, opened 46 and a half, currently sitting at 48 and a half. I've got to think part of that would be looking at the Niners defense. I think they're down to more backups than starters at this point. And I'm wondering, Zuma, if you think alongside the Niners defense, that Chiefs defense might be in any sort of position to oblige given some of the over money that we've seen early in the week. Yeah, so let me quote the injury injury report for the 49ers. It'll be a long one. With, and I will only talk about key impact players, okay? Trent Williams, high ankle sprain, might play. Uh, right tackle Mike McGlinchey, calf contusion, might play. Nick Bosa, groin, I think it was a groin strain, might play, might not play. Javon Kinlaw on IR, Eric Armstead, multiple week injury, will not play. Emmanuel Mosley on IR, Chevarius Ward, groin strain or, or something with a groin, might play, might not play. Jason Barrett coming off IR, I don't expect him to play. And Jimmy Ward might play with a cast because he has a broken hand. So, I mean, it's, it's a really, really long injury report. And I think these injuries will in some way or shape dictate where the number will go by the end of the week. Uh, if, the num if the Niners get some really good uh, injury news, I can easily see this going towards two and a half. 
But if it's bad, I can also see it going the other way towards the Chiefs in this one. Because let's say the Niners will play behind a mostly backup offensive line and without all their players on defense. That's a very, very tough matchup against the Chiefs. On the other side, if the Niners are healthy, they are a very good football team that can give the Chiefs a, a very good fight in this one. So I really think that if, if someone is interested in this game, wait until Thursday, Friday, try to get your best estimation of the injury report and then make a decision. Um, maybe there's an injury report out right now. I have not checked uh, since we started our show today. But um, yeah, all of these injuries will probably dictate where the line is going to go. Right on cue that you mentioned that, because I'm seeing across my odd screen, Circa just went down to Chiefs minus two and a half. Chris down to a soft three for Kansas City. So that might be indicative of where some of this San Francisco injury news is trending. As you read that laundry list of injuries, a lot of guys who might play. And I wanted to follow up on that by asking, even if they get ruled in, which it seems like things might be trending in a positive direction based on the line movement that we just saw, do you think the market does a proper job or do you find any edges in noting, okay, just if somebody's playing, they're not 100%. So kind of figuring when somebody gets in, the market might overreact at times versus you know, just the understanding that playing in, in a game doesn't mean that you're playing at full speed. Oh, yes, but it's also a, let's say, case-to-case specific problem. So sometimes players might be ruled in, but you you really have to to dig a little bit deeper about the injury, whether he is supposed to be at 100% or not. Best example was um, Gabriel Davis for the Bills. I think he had a low or mid ankle sprain, and he set out one game, I think, against the Titans. And then the next two weeks, he was very limited in practice, but he was playing. But during the game, he was more like a decoy, not really an effective option. Once he got into a full practice mode, he was once again, I think it was against the Steelers where he had his breakout game, and then he was really back to 100%. But that's very hard to decipher because we are not getting all the great information every time about how healthy a player looks at practice. And we can basically just make some guesses based on injury reports or listen to some historical comparisons for that injury. So it's it's sometimes not really very easy for us to decipher who's going to be fine to play and who might be limited despite playing. Maybe the market's trying to read some tea leaves as we continue to have this conversation. Chris now down to almost a flat two and a half. So things incrementally inching in favor of the Niners. But Zuma, that'll take us to the end of games where we've already seen meaningful movement at the sharpest books that take the biggest bets so far in this week's betting market. I'd like to move on to a fun new segment, Fabian's Forecast, where we can bring up potentially any games we haven't discussed yet because we haven't seen any major movement yet. But are there any key updates you're monitoring closely as you continue to read the market yourself over the rest of the week? So it's hard to decipher where it's going to go but we are also having some injury some interesting injury situations with the Lions and Cowboys because one Dak Prescott is likely going to play but we don't know at which strength and whether they're going to go like the 100% Dak offense or whether they're going to go with a run first approach uh, whatever on the other side the Lions are probably missing DJ Chark so that's an interesting game 
And the other game is also Ravens-Browns because the Browns injury report is not looking very good. And on the Ravens side, we are monitoring like Justin Houston and uh, Rashad Bateman. And depending on where that pendulum swings, we could maybe see the Ravens going towards minus seven. But um, it's it's hard to make a, a great forecast when the injury situations for both teams are not really highly certain on, on a Wednesday. Understood that it's tough to forecast all this stuff with all the moving pieces at this stage. But I will ask for a bit of an extended forecast, if you will, to wrap this up. want to ask you about the Eagles. I know they're on a bye this week, but a lot of talk about their first half dominance in particular against the spread to start the season. And I'm wondering, on one hand, once we see them get back into action off of their bye come next week, do you think some of that first half against the spread value might be gone because everybody's talking about it at this point? Or do you think those who are quick to act could still find some edges because the books might just purely open the first half betting markets as a derivative of the full game spread? It's it's hard to answer that because I don't spend too much time looking at first half markets. So I don't really have a lot of experience there. Um, so I would assume that at some point it has to be baked into the market. So even if the books open it as a derivative, like the market should dictate where the first half line should go pretty quickly is my best guess. All right. And Suma, one more way we can forecast things. I'd like to weave the hops back into the fold here and maybe do a beer forecast in terms of what's on tap for us for the weekend to come. I've noted that we record this show Wednesday mornings, my time out here in Southern California. So not drinking as much beers with you virtually as I would love to, as we talk between the lines on a weekly basis but I know that you've got an embarrassment of riches on your hand when it comes to the hoppier offerings in your backyard in Germany. Same here for myself in my neck of the woods. So if we look ahead to the weekend, anything in your beer fridge or just in your general vicinity that you're eyeing getting your hands on to enjoy with some NFL week seven viewing perhaps. Yeah. Um, we have a regional brewery that's like one mile away my place and it's called Waldstadt Brewery because my town has the nickname Waldstadt, like Wood City, uh, if you want to call it <laughs> that way. And they do a, a Pilsner, they also do a, a special ale. And uh, I have one, um, one big bag of Pilsners over here and that's likely going to be my go-to beer this upcoming Sunday. Nice. Well, I will channel the best German drinking experience that I can from afar. There's a newly released beer called Let's Prost. It's a Kolsch by my favorite brewery, Green Cheek Beer Company, based in Orange, California, not too far from Disneyland. And I know that Disneyland may be the happiest place on earth, but when I've got a Green Cheek beer in my hands, you know, any environment might as well be the happiest place on earth. So from the Pilsner to the Kolsch, I think we'll be doing some, you know, nice, easy, crushable drinking this weekend. So looking forward to that, hopefully to pair with some good bets. And for those of you who have enjoyed Suma's betting insight over the course of this conversation, want to let you know to go follow him on Twitter if you're not doing so already, at Suma810, that's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can also catch Suma across the rest of the Hammer Betting Network on primetime doing a Sunday night football game pregame and halftime live stream with Rob Pizzola. Also a Monday article every week recapping the week that was in the NFL. 
As for me, you can find me on Twitter at mlandis18. That's M-L-A-N-D-E-S-1-8. And Jacob and I will see you right back here on Friday with Hitman to do our Week 7 Prop Betting Breakdown. Props and ops and props and props.